So I have some good news for you this morning. That is, we're not going to be talking about the meanings of words from a long time ago. How's that? Uh, The fact is that some words, uh, though they are confusing, retain the same actual definitions uh, that they did. Not not every word changed. Uh, There are some definitions. uh, I should say there are definitions and then there's meanings. In other words... The actual technical definition hasn't changed, but within a particular culture, there's an additional idea. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, We'll get to the verse in just a second. Culture applies sometimes a a different context to the right definition. Uh, In our house, we have a culture, my, my house, and so as a subset of this culture we have a word that's used probably nowhere else in the world like this this phrase uh, and, and so we have a coffee culture in our house and some of you might have that and, and so every day virtually every day from two to four ish somewhere we have coffee break that's a that's a thing that's a, we've just always done it uh, I don't remember doing this before I got married I'll say that so I, I'm pretty sure I know where the culture came from but um, Kids are brilliant, and they catch on to things fairly quickly. And so <clears throat> Benjamin in particular, and then, and then Adelaide, the older two, caught on to the idea that with coffee break, usually there's something chocolate, or some cookie at least. And, and so, so they caught on. And so, so when we would have coffee break, they would want coffee break. You know, at, at two years old, I didn't give them coffee. But they, they weren't really interested. They were interested in the event. They weren't really interested in the, the necessarily the coffee part. I mean, when, when they finally got coffee, it was, you know, like 70% milk and then just like a little bit of, uh, just to say, they had coffee break. Well, Benjamin and Adelaide had transitioned this word. The word still means the same thing, but the word has transitioned over, over a period of years uh, to mean something somewhat different. In other words, coffee break doesn't really refer to the coffee part of coffee break. It really refers to the other thing that they were really interested in, which was the chocolate part of coffee break. So, so that now, uh, Julian and, and Anthony, they, they grew up in this culture. They were born into this culture. And, and so they have never really associated the word coffee break really with coffee. Really? So, so they'll come, what's for coffee break? What they mean is, what kind of cookies did you buy? Right? That's it. So, so now we have to get decoy. We, uh, I shouldn't have told them that. We get decoy coffee break, and that's, there's, there's the expensive stuff for, for Katie, and then we get like, you know, the cookies that they like. We'll say it that way. For, for them. And, and so, so Katie and I, now our language has transitioned along with that. So that our language, we still understand the word coffee, and we understand the word break, and that the words themselves are the same, but we now respond to that. Now, when I say that the words haven't changed, if you come to our house and ask Anthony for coffee, he wouldn't get you chocolate, right? He understands what the word itself means, but just within the culture of the house, language has a, a, a different meaning. Uh, apart from the strict definition. And, and that brings us to our, 
our text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, if you are wondering uh, what, it, what we're talking about and what the connection is. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Our reading of this, I think, is off a little bit. Not because we don't understand the words, but because we don't live in the culture that they lived in. And, and specifically, even, even within the culture that they existed in, this specific group of people up in Galilee where he's speaking for the first time, really, in terms of his public address. We've talked about the culture. We don't need to go into that. We've already established the lifestyle, the poverty of things. And, and that's where we find, I think, some deeper meaning here. So we want to go first into the idea of hungering and thirsting and to, to get an idea of what he's talking about, a deeper craving. Uh, let's, let's begin with the word thirst. Because when we hear this word, and, and when we use this word, we mean a thing by it. And that's an accurate picture within what we're talking about in our context. And in our culture, we understand if we use the word thirst, what we're talking about. Like, can you get me some water? I need some water. I'm a little parched up here. I've been talking for a few minutes. I'm a little thirsty. I've been working. It's a little dusty, so I, 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 go, I can go to a refrigerator, believe it or not. We, we, most of us have a refrigerator. We, we do that. And I'm like, well, do I want crushed ice or do I want cubed ice? And it's a travesty because, you know, we came back, we were on vacation for a week, and, uh, and I hadn't used the little lever thing. And I was like, oh, no, the, 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 my filter froze up. Like, ah, what am I going to drink? I'm, I'm kind of programmed after living in, in Ukraine that I, I just I don't feel like uh, comfortable getting water out of a faucet. And that, that just comes from, you know, turning on a faucet over there and watching little black things come out in your, in your, in your, kind of, I, I just kind of can't do that. And so now my, my, I had to go to Menards and get a filter for my refrigerator so I could quench my thirst. <sighs> what am I going to do? It's, a, it's our culture. So we don't understand thirst, really. You and I don't understand thirst. This is Uganda. This is uh, Lake Victoria. We actually know some people, a guy by the name of Ronald, who lives not too far from here, an hour, half hour, somewhere like that. And uh, I'm not sure if it's to this location or, or a river that leads into it, but um, over there, a woman's work is to get water. You've probably seen pictures of people carrying water or they have a big thing in the pots of water. That's women's work. I wouldn't want to do it. They walk half an hour sometimes to get a couple of five-gallon or, or five-quart uh, things or you know, two gallons, whatever they can carry, not a lot, to have water for the day. You see the water they're drinking there. It's not quite tap water from Ukraine. I'll put it that way. Ugh. Doesn't quite look like your crystal clear water out of the fridge. There's alligators there. That's why those sticks are there, by the way. Because there's alligators every year in Uganda. There are alligator killings for people getting their water. 
And then if you're lucky, you get a well. And they, these wells cost, a, a town might have one well in it. It was like $5,000, $10,000 to drill. And, and you're walking a half an hour for your water for the day. That's thirst. That's thirst. And that's the, the context, or that's closer to the context of what we're talking about. Back then, in Israel, there's only a few bodies of water that don't dry up at some point during. Uh, outside of the Jordan River, which is kind of like this, there were three rivers in Israel that, that didn't dry up during the dry season. Think about that. You're walking. You better hope there's a well somewhere. That's, that's why you, you read the Old Testament and everywhere Jacob goes or Abraham goes, they're digging a well. Why? Because there's no water. This is thirst. And, and so it's important for us to understand the word thirst. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, it's not like, oh, no, you know what, I could, use some, I could use some water right now. He said, well, blessed are those who have a deep craving. That's the idea. Thirst. Well, then we should understand hunger a lot like that. My view. What is hunger? I, I experience hunger. You experience hunger. You, you experience it. You get, I get a little pain in my stomach. Oh, it's a little sore. Well, that is hunger. That's a hunger pain. It's accurate. However... If you have ever said or heard the words in your house, I'm not hungry for, right? If you, you've heard, yeah, I'm hungry. Oh, well, why don't you have this? This is what we got. Well, I'm not hungry for that. Well, that's not hunger then, right? If you're not hungry for a particular thing, then you don't know what hunger is. We don't know what hunger is. We know what a semi-uncomfortable feeling is. We don't know what it's like to go, you might eat today. We don't. We don't comprehend that. You might eat if you're lucky back then, morning and night. Those were, that is middle class, lower middle class, middle class. Two meals a day. What did Jesus ask his disciples to pray? Why did they track with that idea? Give us this day our loaf of bread. That's what he's saying. Give us today a loaf of bread. Our daily bread. We don't comprehend that. John chapter 6, and that's why this sermon, they, they tracked with this. He says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread all the time. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes to me shall never thirst. They comprehended bread as the basis of life. And if you had nothing else, you might be able to have a little flour. If you were really lucky, you had a little oil. But if not, then it was water. And you could make a loaf. Kind of tough. 
that was daily bread. We don't know hunger. We don't understand this idea. You didn't have a varied diet. Developed a habit. Um, I do the menu for the week. Man's work. Uh, the reason I have this man's work is because when we lived in Ukraine, uh, we didn't have a vehicle. And, and refrigerators over there are a little bit smaller. And so not everything, your groceries for the week don't fit. So not that I could buy my groceries for the week and haul it all back. So um, you learn to economize. Well, I, don't, I didn't do a lot of impulse buying because I've got to haul it all back to the house, which is, you know, like three or four blocks. And uh, about 40 or 50 pounds of plastic on your wrists is man's work, not woman's work. That's my opinion. And um, so I, I learned really quickly that, uh, that a menu was good because then I knew exactly what I needed when I went to the store. So, so I just kind of retained the habit and, uh, and, and make up the, the menu for the week. And, 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 and I, I do this thing, like, well, you know, let's see, we, we have pasta on Tuesday. I don't want pasta every day. She likes tacos. She could eat tacos every day. Oh, you know, once a week is good enough for, uh, for Mexican for me. And, uh, and this is, you know, I'm hungry for, I'm not hungry for this. Why? Because I don't understand hunger. I really don't. So when Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I don't understand that naturally. I get the general idea because I understand what the words mean. I don't need to go into Greek or Hebrew to figure out what the words mean. But the context, the, the culture, as Jesus is sitting there to people who understand genuine hunger and genuine thirst. To crave what they need to survive. That is the root of the concept he's trying to get across here. Ah, but what to hunger and thirst for? I assume as he says to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you if you, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. That we're probably with some people that were a little offended here. What do you mean? We're poor. We get one meal a day maybe. And you're telling us that we need to be hungry for Righteousness. We've got bigger problems. What do you mean? Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm starving here. I suppose it's possible, I don't know that this is to be absolute sure, that there is a connection amongst many of the people that he's talking to a, a direct connection between the idea of righteousness and their immediate physical 
condition. What I mean by that, let me give you a couple of scriptures from Proverbs. He says, remove from me the falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that I need. Just what I need for today. So that I don't get, on one hand, I don't get too full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? That would be if he was too rich. But on the other hand, don't let me be so poor that I steal and profane the name of my God. I, read, I, was, I was doing research for this and was, I, I un, unintentionally came across an article and I forget who it was by, but it was some theologian and some, some professorate of some college. And he was like, well, you know, God really didn't mind stealing just so long as you were hungry. I don't, I don't think that's the case. Because Solomon writes here that, that even if he stole out of poverty, he would profane the name of God for his unrighteousness. And so there sometimes is a connection between what is righteous, unrighteous, and poverty. I think we see that in society in a lot of places. I'm not, I'm not saying we should excuse it. I'm not saying we should ignore it and just, well, they need to be better. Because James talks about that about how we should be towards that. That's not really what the sermon's about. The idea is that, that Jesus is using the illustration of physical hunger and thirst for what he really wants us to crave. Here's another one that's, that's similar. He says, unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now, I've lived in a society that, that has unequal... I, I've gone to a market, a meat market, or you buy some, some stuff in an open market, and I've seen the little weights, and you see they're really shiny in certain areas where they've filed them down. Why? Here's a little old lady. I never said anything because I'm, I'm, I'm losing a few kopecks, but she's, she's putting those weights on there. She shaved them down because I'm getting less grain or I'm getting less whatever she's selling. I'm getting less sugar. I'm getting less whatever. And so, so she's, she's getting the price for a kilogram, but, but I'm not quite getting a kilogram. That's what the idea is here, an unequal weight, an unequal measure. Why do they do that? Well, they justify it. Listen, these people up above me are corrupt and they're taking advantage of me, so it's okay for me to get them back. It's out of hunger. It's out of poverty that a lot of these decisions are made by the lower parts of a society. And that's just, I don't care what the motive is. It's unrighteousness. But let's understand that what God wants us to crave is righteousness. It is a universal promise. Now, I'm sure that not everyone in the, the audience listening to him was reduced to some sort of unethical way to survive. In fact, I, I bet it's the minority of people. But it is a universal thing that he wants. It just may be that because of their poverty, they hadn't thought of righteous things. Maybe they're not doing 
really bad things. But maybe they're just not concerned because their day is spent. The, the, the parable of the man that goes to the, 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 the men that go to the market and they stay there all day hoping that they get picked to, to work for the day because then they can get some money to pay for their daily bread. And it's, their, their day is spent living like this. Well, we may have a desire. A lot of times our, our hunger is kind of like our hunger that you and I feel. We kind of, uh, you know, like I kind of got a feeling of, of a need for some righteousness, but, but it's not an extreme craving, you know. You know, I, I, I'm not really hungry for that today. I, I'm in the mood for some kindness today, but, you know, I'm not really in the mood for some self-control today. It's not really what I was craving today. We, we, we have kind of a hunger for righteousness, I think. But maybe not really. And so he says, blessed are those because you will be filled. And this is a confusing verse to me. It's always been confusing. And I suppose it's because I'm guilty of mixing my metaphors or mixing my parables or, or mix, mixing different references that maybe ought not. But, but I'll give you an illustration. John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is really a bad sermon to preach when I don't have my glass of water up here. But um, here he's talking about, and I've always understood this, spirituality. And not thirsting again. That's the idea of being filled. That's what it looks like to me. And then at the same time, I think, well, do we get to a point? Isn't the idea that I'm supposed to always want righteousness? Should I get to a point where I don't want righteousness anymore? That I'm filled? That's great. I was thirsty. I'm not thirsty anymore. I don't need any more righteousness. It sounds almost like he's, he's proving the opposite of, of what he's intending. And I think there's something wrong in the understanding. We were over at the, the Phillips house about a year ago. And uh, I think I understand a little bit. Uh, Cammy, we were, I don't remember what the youth group event was or what we were doing, but she had a piece of the sushi nori paper. She's like, this is satisfying. See, now, I've never applied that word to that. I like sushi, but I've never really applied that word to that. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And that's the concept of being filled. It's not I'm full, I don't want anymore. But there's the idea of this is satisfying. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they're going to get something that's genuinely satisfying. Oh, that's different. It doesn't mean you're full and you don't want any more. But you will genuinely be satisfied by what you're looking for. If you're hungry... And if you're really starving, like these people were, 
Oh, wonderful, you got a meal today. But you don't know that that's going to guarantee anything for tomorrow. You're not really satisfied. You're not really sure of anything in the future. But, but if you search for righteousness, you know you've got an all-you-can-eat buffet all the time. You've got a craving for righteousness, and it's always what you want, what you need is right there. And so, satisfaction is a a shift of expectation. This is what he's trying to get them, a shift of their expectation. To move it away from physical satisfaction, which has consumed their life, and obvious, naturally, we would understand why. We referred to the false promise of of religions, we even talked about this this morning in class, of physical prosperity by means of, of spirituality, that this will be some great promise. And I, I almost wonder if he's addressing that specific idea, that he's trying to draw a contrast between this search, this craving for achieving some level of, of subsistence that humanity seems to always crave. I want to be rich, or I want to be in a class above whatever I am now. And, and people have this devotion to that idea, this hunger, this thirst for that thing. Whatever that thing, whatever it looks like to you. I need these number of toys, I need this type of a house, I need this type of, I want this type of a job, I want, I want to be retired by this age. Whatever the thing is that we think is going to bring satisfaction, we crave that and we work for it and we pour our effort and energy into it. One person said, uh, when we are young, we, we, we sacrifice our health to produce wealth. And then from the time we retire, we spend all the wealth trying to make sure we're healthy. We've wasted a lifetime chasing things that we're not really interested in having right now. I'm going to get this. Whoa, I wish I had that. And he said, no, let me shift your expectations to where you're getting what you really need and what will genuinely satisfy you. He wants to remove them from their spiritual poverty. Return to the contrast of our modern hunger, to their genuine hunger. We say we're hungry or we're thirsty, but as we noted, we really don't have that sense. Right? We experience the temporary condition but we can satisfy that pretty quickly. I mean, how, many, how, how long? I mean, maybe if you're in transportation from one location to another, like, oh, I'm starving, I can't wait till I get home. But even there, yeah, I mean, really, you can pull over to a Burger King and satisfy that if you really, really need to. Well, we don't really experience long periods of time with this condition called hunger. But they had a significant spiritual deficit. Not just poverty, but but spiritual 
We talked about how this group of people were uneducated, but specifically uneducated in spiritual matters. Their synagogues were few and far between. Their rabbis, quite frankly, weren't top-notch. I don't really understand a lot of deep principles. So, so as a result, their spirituality is going to be what you would expect. And God's message to them is that his favor is upon them if they will desire genuine spiritual nourishment. They will have all, all they want. It will be at their fingertips. They could be filled anytime they need. All it requires, all they have to do is have a genuine longing. He says that feeling that you have every day, oh, they get that. They get the concept. I don't. They get the concept. And he's talking to them and they go, that feeling that you feel right now, sitting on the side of this hill, listening to me for hunger, you have that feeling for spiritual things. And you will be blessed. Just shift what it is you want. At night, I have a bad habit. Many bad habits. Hungry. I don't like to go to bed hungry. I don't know about you. It is hard for me to get to sleep if I'm hungry. I'll just get a little snack right before bed. And I reach for the wrong thing. Oh, it's a bad, bad, bad habit. What do I want? Oh, there's a bag of pretzels. Oh, there's a this, there's a that. Right? All the empty calories. Oh, there's carrots down there. There's a whole bag of them. There's a, there's a whole refrigerator full of green things in that. That's not what I reach for. Some crunchy, some sweet. Because it's change your craving. Change your cravings and you'll be blessed. Reach for something better. I reach for the wrong thing. And Jesus is telling them, reach for something different. You've been reaching for food and all your daily things. That's fine. We're not saying you should die of starvation. But he's saying, what I really want you to focus on, and this you'll be blessed, is the things that are going to bring you long-term health. <coughs> and so that's, that's the encouragement. To leave here this week and, and to manage our cravings. To shift what I crave this week. What can I not do without this week? What spiritual thing can I not do without this afternoon, on Tuesday morning, on, on Thursday night? Whatever it is. What spiritual thing do I absolutely have to have? 